Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. Today my guest is Tyler Bates. Tyler's big new movie, of course, is John Wick 4. And he also recently did a series for Netflix, co-scored with one of his frequent collaborators, Tim Williams, called Agent Elvis. Tyler and I spend a decent amount of time talking about John Wick, both this latest entry, as well as really his work all across the series, from getting involved in the very, very early days, and how that brought his collaborator in all four films, Joel J. Richard, on as well. And now you'll notice that I've already talked about two collaborations that Tyler's done. This features heavily throughout our conversation, and is something that I find really quite unique and distinct about Tyler. Obviously, he has done a ton of solo scoring for film and TV, but in the last couple years, he's done a lot of collaborations, and it becomes really clear in this conversation that it's something that he not only enjoys, but he also really wants to give as much credit as he can. It's something that I know is very controversial in the scoring world, really the lack of credit, and so it's nice and refreshing to see someone as big as Tyler pushing back and doing something a bit more equitable. Now, of course, you can find out more about Tyler on his website, his social media, although admittedly he doesn't use it very often, and you can do the same for me. And now, of course, if you're enjoying the show, leave a rating, leave a review on whatever your podcast streaming site or streaming app of choice is. And if you are using Spotify, there's now uh, Q&As available. So there's probably some stock question up that you can leave a little feedback through. Now, sit back and I hope you enjoy. Tyler, I'm, I'm so glad you could join me today. How have you been? Uh, really good. It's just been... Uh, let's say my schedule's been insane because I've been touring. <laughs> I'm out here touring with Jerry Cantrell. And, you know, depending on however far the next town is, uh, you know, we shove off after the shows. So, for instance, last night uh, we ended up in, uh, I think, in St. Louis coming from Milwaukee. So, you know, you don't get into your hotel until 7, 8 in the morning. And I don't <laughs> sleep on the bus. So it's challenging. But uh, we're having a good time out here. And it's been a good uh, reprieve from non-stop uh, work in my studio for the past year so it's great i bet in one sense i'm i'm surprised because you hear a lot of people who have been in bands and whatnot for a while kind of get sick of touring you know a lot of times they hit a point and they're like i'm done with this but it, it doesn't sound like that's the case for you or at least is it if you were touring you know nine months out of the year that'd be too much but having this is a a bit of a change of pace works absolutely i no i'm not going to be a road dog and <laughs> Of course, Jerry Cantrell is an incredible artist, but if we weren't close friends and had we not, you know, worked together producing his new record, I I don't think that I would be on tour right now, but he is my brother and, you know, I put the band together for the tour. So it's all people that I really love and who are immensely talented. So to work with them every day and perform continues to challenge me to be better. And obviously I do this also to keep my guitar chops in shape. How much does your guitar skill in particular, because I know you've been a guitarist for however long, how much has that helped more broadly, like your composing career? Uh, well, everything is kind of washed the hand of another. Uh, with Manson, I started working with him actually in 2013 to write the Pale Emperor record, but um, even shows like Californication were great just to keep me physically on the guitar and you know, just keep that relationship really familiar. Because when you're scoring film and television, you know, our job is to do what whatever is required by the picture just to serve that. And, you know, I do remember in the, the first decade of the 2000s, there were sometimes weeks I did not touch the guitar because it wasn't an ingredient in the score I was working on. And, you know, anyone who is deep into scoring movies knows that you definitely go through a stretch in your life that's at least 10, 20 years where you're working 16-hour days every day. Mm. So you're not really ready to pick up your guitar or any other instrument after that 16 hours and start woodshedding. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like uh, yeah, you need to eat and, and take a shower once in a while. 
I noodled on the guitar way back when. You'll see one behind me, but uh, man, I at at my peak I was okay, and it's been a while since then. So you know, but it's always something both you know acoustic, classical, electric. I'm always a little bummed out that it's uh those are instruments that you don't hear too often in film music. I think part of it is because it, they're so distinct sounds. So it's always nice listening to something like the John Wick scores where. It's far more, at least the electric guitar, like a far more integral ingredient. So for you having that background, does that feel a bit full circle being able to to implement those so much? Of course I enjoy it. It's not what I'm looking to do on every mm. project that I work on, but I love to have something that requires guitar, guitar viol, things in that family, just to keep exercising that aspect of my mind, which is just really fun for me. Yeah, I'm probably about 30% of where I was when I was chops wise is when I was 20, <laughs> 25 or something. But luckily, when I was 25, I was pretty good. So, you know, I'm a totally different person now when it comes to the, the way I play music and my ideas musically. So that's a byproduct of film scoring and working on television shows. And it's informed my guitar playing, which mm. is really cool, you know, because you're the id of a composer has, if you're coming off of a, an instrument that was the center of your universe for a long time, and you get into the business of uh, writing music as a storytelling component, you have to look at yourself differently. I still have always identified as a guitar player, but before you know it, you're writing for orchestra, you're writing music for other people to play, that you may never physically play one bit of it other than the programming required to write the orchestral parts or program synths or what have you. So it is really cool to have that. Californication was a great bump for me. And, you know, I met Marilyn Manson through that show. And then really right while I was doing that first record, John, the John Wick people mm. were looking for an original song by Marilyn Manson. And that's how that all started too with John Wick, you know, um, they had a, we had a meeting and the directors and Keanu and Manson came over to my studio one day to listen to what we were working on because again they wanted an original song and his people pointed them to me so we we listened to the record at full volume concert volume and um, they heard Killing Strangers and that became the theme song for John Wick in the first film and that's just led to much more guitar work for me so things have found me like the Punisher. You know, Steve Lightfoot mm. liked, liked how I play guitar, so he wanted me on that show. And so it allowed afforded me the opportunity to incorporate that into the score. Pretty filthy, like kind of grimy score, which was great. But now I, I realize how important that is to me. And that's why I make records, write songs with people and, and do some touring to support the work that I do uh, on records. Because it would be unfair for me to try and satisfy that desire solely through my my visual artwork right film television games whatever it may be i can't shoehorn guitar in, in into yeah. anything because i want it to be there you know i mean you know i'm up for any challenge as far as genre and style i think i'm disciplined enough to not not go there because i have all these other aspects in my life and then the film and tv work has helped me working with artists producing records and writing songs just because again my sole interest is is helping them tell their story as an artist so i i've obviously through many years of doing film and television you know you you pick up some skills as far as how to facilitate that and understand the sensibilities of your collaborators and i think then more articulate you know effectively articulate what they they wish to say and how they want to say it so Sorry if my words are a little jumbled. I'm literally, <laughs> I'm literally like in the middle of the night right now. Uh, just hey, no worries. Woke up. So, but anyway, yeah. I mean, it's it's really great. It's really fun. I love music so much that I do get great satisfaction working in other aspects of music. You know, especially orchestral music is is awesome. That mindset's got to be useful for your growth as a musician, composer, writer. Not sitting and being like, all right, I'm only going to do projects that let me do guitar, rock, industrial type stuff. And look, I'm I'm sure you could have done that and, and still been really successful with that mindset. But as a lifelong musician, 
I, I don't think most people would want to just not change and that I'm sure has, uh, has forced you and pushed you to grow. Yeah. Well, I mean, just imagine this, obviously, you know, I've been around on this planet a little while and over the course of 30 years, you figured I've done, I, I don't know how many movies, probably a hundred or something. Right. And all the episodes of television, you know, whatever that may be somewhere near a thousand or something. And then working with artists also, then prior to that, having my own experiences with bands and record deals and stuff, I have been in the collaborative company with some incredibly talented people, brilliant people, geniuses, some of them. And when you work in the company of those people each day, in order to hold your space, hold your value, you have to grow. And if you don't grow from working with people like that, you're not present. You know, it's an incredible opportunity in life to work with so many amazingly complex and talented people. And some of it's pleasant, some of it's not, but I've chosen to grow from it. I never felt that I had a choice, you know, at the beginning, it's like I'd work with anyone because I was trying to make my rent, you know, and eat. I didn't come from means or some kind of a stipend to get myself going. I think that would have been pretty cool, <laughs> actually, <laughs> but it didn't work out that way. And, you know, we all have our own path. Not that that makes you a better composer or not. It doesn't. It, I, I don't think so. But, you know, my thought process early on was really more survival. So I worked probably uh, to the point where I now have PTSD. And other composers, I'm sure, who've been around a long time experience that as well. You know, you're trying to really just lay, lay back, you know, and relax on a vacation with your family. And by day four, there's something inside you that starts... Mm clawing at you and and you want to chill like you're you need the break but your mind starts getting used to such an incredible velocity of work creatively and even the deadlines that we are frustrated by sometimes or that we crave that too so that's an interesting dichotomy we wind up in or let's say a paradox that we have to uh to work through in our lives you know but again it's all very exciting because it's a byproduct of a ton of experiences that have been interesting. One of, one of the really interesting things you mentioned there was, especially early on, taking everything that you could, because, look, you had to make a living and all that, and then sort of like the, the consequences that has later on. Do you think that's something that could have been avoided? Looking back, was there a way to think like, oh, maybe there was a little more moderation? Or, I mean, look, I know Part of it's the nature of the work and especially those deadlines and long hours. Is that something that was just kind of unavoidable? I think for me, it was unavoidable because uh, I, I didn't come up formally into the film scoring business. It began when people asked me in at parties and barbecues and stuff if I would score their film. Hmm. And even though I would tell them that I really did not know much about the craft, each opportunity I got, I worked very hard to get as much knowledge about what the purpose and the point of music is in the process and how other artists on the on films work in their craft. So editors taught me a great deal about filmmaking and about their perspective on music and, and its function in films and obviously directors and producers. But again, I had done 18 movies before I even met another person who had scored a film. So the only thing that kind of got me through that was that I had spent you know, so much time in my life in the recording studio, just with my bands and songwriting. Kind of going off that aspect of collaboration, something that you'd mentioned earlier, especially being able to work on the, the songwriting aspect. I think that's something that's really unique about the John Wick films is that there are a number of original songs or covers in, I think, each one, which you don't often find in in movies. So, you know, it's, it's given you a, an opportunity to collaborate with a lot of other artists, you know, working, uh, writing, producing, etc. I was really excited listening to the soundtrack over the weekend and, and hearing that you'd done a track with In This Moment, who, shoot, I remember, I think I was at OzFest in like 2007 when uh, their debut album came on and like they were uh, suddenly, uh, you know, this big band. So it was it was cool hearing that track. So, how have you enjoyed or how has that aspect of scoring collaboration been? Oh, it's been fantastic. 
it has uh, certainly been a gateway to deepening relationships with different artists that that I've grown to really admire and and form good really solid friendships with well obviously I as I mentioned before John Wick one Chad Stahelski and David Leach wanted a song from Marilyn Manson so we had that meeting at my studio and they showed us the sizzle reel to John Wick at that time and John Wick was a truly independent film so it's one thing if, if someone makes a big property that's been a comic book or graphic novel but this was completely original low budget and yes you're talking you have Keanu Reeves and the two directors are two of the greatest stunt coordinators in the history of film so that that certainly helps because they'd been shooting second unit stuff for years and years and years so they definitely understood the visual aspect of of putting action on on screen and they're both very interesting guys um so you know they have a lot to say even if if it seems that John Wick is simple, you need to really look into it, you know, because what's unsaid is really where the critical information about the depth of that story really lies. So anyway, we went from that and having virtually no money to work with, opened the the door for me to bring in lesser known or unknown artists um, where we felt we needed a cool song that was very cohesive with the score. So on the first one, I had known Cassandra Nostalgia, and we we wrote a song for the first one that was uh, was really fun. Then the Manson song was in that movie a couple times, and then when we got to the second movie, I did a, an end credit song with Jerry Cantrell, and then several songs with Nostalgia for that film also for some on-camera performance that Chad cajoled me to do when he was filming in, in uh, Rome for a week. And also in that is my friend Dylan island who's a dj known as the castlevania so i brought him into the first john wick film to do some club music for us and he formed a very solid relationship with chad stahelski and he became part of the musical fabric of the franchise which is is really wonderful and third movie there were no songs except for the end credit song i did with gavin rossdale bullet holes and we wrote that as a it was just one of several songs and then we we're working on his record i was producing that record with him and we we're in john wick three and and i sent that song to chad and, and chad's a rocker okay so there you go with the guitar and yeah, the drums yeah. and the bass he loves rock music so uh, i sent him the song and he's like damn that is a great song and so we ended up uh, bringing that into the end credits and then in john wick four they expanded the landscape and the, the whole musical requirement like by double there's so much score in the movie and they needed some songs that they were not going to license so there are two cover songs uh nowhere to run mm -hmm. which uh, lola colette sings and that song came about pretty organically but it's an homage you know to the warriors and then there's a french version of i'll just call it paint it black even though technically it's not called that it's too uh complicated to explain why there is a different version of that familiar tune. So I did that with a French artist named Manon. And then there were was a requirement for a couple original songs. Now, the first day that I really began even thinking about John Wick 4, like in a, in a creative sense, was when Chad called me about uh, January of last year and, and asked if I ever heard the singer. And I'm like, oh, and he's like, her name's Maria. She's in this band in this, uh, I'm like, in this moment. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, he says, you know them? I'm like, yeah, I'm actually producing their record right now. <laughs> so it's <laughs> true. So uh, we had written the song, I Would Die For You by that point. So I sent it to Chad. Coincidentally, the lyrics, I think, are completely appropriate for John Wick. Everything about the lyrics in that song represent the story of John Wick. So Chad really loved the song. And it was such early days, he kind of, he heard it and he loved it. And then he just kind of set it aside. And then I ended up recording Nowhere to Run. And then when I sent that to him and I recorded that from the road, we just ran, ran into a studio on a day off. And that's how Lola became the singer because she was the opening act for Jerry Cantrell a year ago. And I needed a singer. So I asked her to come in the studio and she sang that, the original version live with us in the, in the room with everybody, just drums, everybody. And Chad loved it and put it in the film. And then when it came time to do the final, I was thinking, okay, well, here's maybe where Maria will sing this song. 
we weren't sure what the song was going to be. I'm like, what do you think? And he's like, dude, I love Nowhere to Run, man. Let's have Lola do it. I had even sent it to Maria and she said the same thing. She says, Lola should sing that song. So as we got closer to the end, I'm like, hey, man, you know, to Chad, I'm like, what about in this moment? He's like, oh, yeah. And I played him the song again in my studio. And he's like, dude, is there any way we could get that song in this movie? I'm like, yeah, well, we can work it out. So that's how it happened. I love those guys. Chris and Maria are awesome people. And they're making a new record right now, which is is really exciting. I'm glad to know that they have a new album coming out. You know, when I was when I was younger and first heard them, I was much more of a, an elitist metalhead and thought it was like above that kind of music. And five, six years ago, maybe they had the single Roots out. I heard that on the radio and got obsessed with it. And luckily, it's it's one part of personal growth of realizing that you know yeah. there shouldn't be any music that you're above. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Well, that is certainly something you learn from scoring film and television because over time you're tasked with addressing mm. er, every style every genre of music and when you start to get into it especially if you're not previously familiar with it and you study it you realize there are badasses in every single style of music e existing so it's humbling it becomes fun to really even as a listener just to listen just like imagine if you listen to one song every week that is totally outside the wheelhouse of what you would normally listen to to say okay i i don't even know what this is this genre of music is about i'm going to listen to something from of that time or that era you know whatever it's going to expand your mind and say you are an artist whether as a composer or a musician or both or whatever that will inform your your choices and and, and it will continue to add more dimension to your your talent so I think it's really important to put yourself in situations where it's not just uh, passively going through the familiar playlist of your your day. I think that's huge from for the from the perspective of somebody that enjoys music as well. Like, look, there there are plenty of people who they have their era and their style, and that's all they're going to listen to. But all the time, I I recommend to people to pick things you're unfamiliar with. You might hate it, but you might not. And even so, just being in that situation is just going to kind of expand your mind a little bit. Man, there's just so much out there that's really good and really cool. And you're never going to know until you actually throw it on. Yeah, and you'd be surprised, especially when you're kind of uh, imbibing in a genre that's so foreign to your natural taste. Say you're a guitar player or a bassist or drummer or whatever you're inclined to pick up a lick or two that might mm -hmm. be be something that you can interpret into your own style of expression or playing. So to me, it's kind of foolish to to not expand the scope of your mind. It's very easy to do. Just have to reserve that time for yourself. Yeah. And and try not to galvanize the idea of who you are in a stylistically finite way. Like your signature is the most important thing to your talent, in my opinion, because that's what what determines or defines your uniqueness. And that's important. You don't have to be the best at this or that, but if you have a sound, same way you know you hear two bars of an ACDC song, you know it is. Same with U2. Same with you know many other bands. You know, I think if you you can develop that as an artist, you're doing something the right way. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a shredder but reality is and i'm talking about in scoring or yeah. whatever i'm just saying that it's it's definitely an achievement to establish an identifiable signature so that's more where i i'm coming from i'm i'm very curious and always trying to learn new things about music every week uh, of my life every day of my life do you think it becomes harder to you know, have a readily identifiable signature in the scoring world when you're moving across genres and styles so much compared to if you're a musician, if you're ACDC doing like hard rock instead. Well, without a doubt, they they create and control the parameters yeah. and, uh, of their choices, right? And, and their sound entirely. Obviously, depending on whatever the film might be, we're tasked with, adapting or you know sort of imbibing in different styles of, of music 
I think it is a greater challenge to develop and maintain your signature without interfering with what's important in serving the film. That's most important. So you hear it. I mean, you hear Thomas Newman, you know, it's Thomas Newman or someone emulating him, mm -hmm. but you know, that sound, it's like, you know, John Williams. I think that's a pretty, pretty amazing thing. And, you know, I think that's something that it's, it's kind of a spiritual aspect of a person as well. You know, if you have that kind of depth to express your vulnerability within your music, that's a very personal thing. And you're talking about doing that in a very public forum, right? So it depends on the individual, you know, how much they're willing to open up and how much personal depth they have as a human. So like I said, it just, it depends. But to me, that's really an important idea as an artist for myself is, is to have that. And I know I have an identifiable sound as a guitarist, whether you like it or not, you know, it's, you, you don't have to like it, but nonetheless, that's been cool. And, and in movies, I think I've, I've gotten there on some of them. But some of them happen in such a crazy fashion. You kind of feel like your foot's caught in the stirrups and the horse is galloping, you know, and you do your best to hang on to the integrity of your ideas while you're serving those of your director and the producer and all the other people behind them who you don't ever meet. Yeah, you just have to be perceptive and open to that and still see what you can do. You know, we're, we're we are commissioned artists, we're servants. Every challenge is a riddle that needs to be solved. We can't get caught up in an existential crisis when we're doing this job. We can't have everything be the way we want it to be or exactly what we want it to be. So the key is, is just to look at it like a some kind of an equation or problem that needs to be solved as opposed to get caught up with the injustice of the process if it doesn't really agree with you. You know, again, I think for me personally, working with so many different people who've had great success in different facets of artistry has really helped me to grow and stay on top of my game. Uh, you mentioned like the music of your formidable years and you can't escape that. Everybody has yeah. that. There's something that that is galvanized in your teens and early 20s with your relationship to music that rarely happens later in life because at that time you don't bear usually the the type of responsibilities that require you to focus on earning a living, taking care of yourself or taking care of your family. And so you're not listening to music usually in the same way because there may not be time, you're exhausted, whatever it is, unless you really desire to do that and to continue to grow with your new discoveries, you know, to be able to put those early formidable bands that you love in a place where you still can love them, but also to let other stuff in. And that's that comes from living your life and having experiences with people, uh, good, bad, you know, relationships, travel, failures altogether. When you start relating to music, as you experience those things in life, you continue to expand your desire to grow your palate. You know, you don't just say, oh, that's done. You know, and, and we have a weird view of life, I think, still in America, where when, when I was a kid, it's like, okay, when you're 40, now you're on the backside of it all. And you're kind of winding down waiting till you retire, you know, that's a very blue collar mentality, I think about, or an idea of what it used to be like to be living in America. But if you have the fire, you can continue to reinvent yourself and develop aspects of yourself further and apply them to your life. So it's really up to us to maintain our relevance as we grow older. You know, if we really do have the passion and fire, we're going to be possessing a lot of wisdom at that point in our life and a lot that we can really direct or channel into our musical expression. So instead of it sounding like a tired version of what we once were, it can sound like a completely new energized version. So for me also performing live puts me in a, in the moment and also uh, makes me be musical in a very immediate situation. You know, when you're in your studio, you can mess around with a idea for for an indefinite period of time. But when you're on stage, you've got to nail it. And so your mentality is just complete focus and trying to experience joy in that process. And hopefully through that, it's transcended to, your, to the audience and they feel great. You know, working with my friends on this tour has been amazing. And it is very much a spiritual endeavor 
obviously I need to be back in my studio to keep the lights on, you know, but, but this is for my soul. And, uh, this is also, you know, it's an investment in all the friendships of the people in the band that I have. These are all people I love dearly who are immensely talented. And, and some of them have been in my life a long time. You know, my daughter's now playing in our band because she stepped in when, when our keyboardist couldn't make it to Europe last summer. And, you know, Jerry just really loves the way she plays and sings and she sang on his record. So they have their own friendship. That's been an incredible experience to travel the world performing with my daughter. I think it really hit us the day we played with Metallica last summer. It's like, okay, here we are. <laughs> it was hilarious. But oh, that's really, wild. Really fun. Yeah. Now with touring with her, playing with her, recording, working on Nowhere to Run with her. How does that working relationship, given it's your daughter, differ from, you know, working with In This Moment, for instance? Um, it does differ, but not not the way you might think, because Lola is a professional. I mean, she's had she's had a lot of exposure to music her entire life. She studied classical piano for 14 years very intensely. So, I mean, she's disciplined and and very bright <laughs> super bright so i love the way she plays i love her just her touch on the piano and that's why i began hiring her for the guardians of the galaxy movies it was not because i was trying to force my daughter into something she doesn't have any ideas that she wants to score movies or anything but she will <laughs> she will work with us as a colorist you know so if we need like a vocal mosaic or an you know some kind of atmospheric thing or some piano work or i mean she plays every instrument so i mean you know i could just send her pro tool session she can do it on her own time because we're usually so busy the turnaround is next to impossible so when we're at that point and there's so much to do you know i have a group of very talented colorists i call them they're they're all pretty much composers in their own right anyway, uh, if not really active composers who are gracious enough to share their talents with me. But yeah, so she's good at compartmentalizing. She's professional. She's very good. I mean, we don't have to do too many takes of anything to get it, um, which is really cool. I must come from the classical discipline because hmm. while I started out playing, you know, in, in school, like concert band and jazz band and marching band and stuff, I'm a guitarist. So we have a tendency to not have that immediate success requirement on our instrument the same way a classically trained instru uh, instrumentalist does over the years because of performing and some of the the intense challenges of film scoring it has forced me to be able to execute my ideas more articulately and and with more efficiency as the years have gone on so i've had a lot of first takes on records which is pretty cool that is cool I do want to switch gears a little bit and go back to something that you said a little earlier on, talking about when you first got involved in John Wick, how it was a low-budget film, you know, especially compared to where it's at now. And one thing that I hear and talk about with a lot of composers is about how budgets affect them, you know, especially over the last couple decades, it seems like the music budgets for scoring keeps getting squeezed and squeezed. Oh, yes. Over these four films, each one is more successful than the last. Each one gets a bigger overall budget than the last. How has that side of things affected your approach and what you've been able to do in the score? First off, it be, the way the whole thing began was that that day I told you that we played the music for them. I watched their sizzle reel and they were talking to me about what they really wanted to make. I don't think they were necessarily thinking this was the onset of a franchise, but yeah. it was something that Keanu and Dave and Chad, who shared a long history together, wanted to do. But I saw something in it, just in the sizzle reel. I'm like, damn, this is really cool. But I was still working on the first Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think I, I had like six pretty intense weeks left. Mm. And so um, the next day, you know, the music supervisor, John Houlihan, called me and asked me if I would score the, the movie. And I was like, damn, I would really love to, but I'm I'm not really available for like the next two months. I don't think I can, but I, I, I certainly would like to. And then he hit me back the next day and he's like, how about you and blank doing John Wick? And maybe you could just work out the, the sound and the theme and then come back to us when you're able to join whoever it is that would be you know working on the, the score with us. It was an interesting time because Chad and Dave were also 
you know, it was a low budget film. So they were out doing stunts and all kinds of stuff during post-production to continue to just probably support themselves and, and to keep everything going. But I thought of Joel right away, Joel Richard, I've known for a long time and we're very close friends and he's immensely talented and we share a lot of similar tastes in music and aesthetics of music. Yet we have some interesting differences of taste too, which I think are complimentary. I mentioned Joel to John and he's like, well, if he would be the person you'd want to do it with, I'm sure it's cool. So I, I talked to Joel and he was down with it. So we got together and worked on the John Wick theme and the aesthetic, the sound. And they pretty much just kind of held post-production for me to join. But Joel got to work and some of the signature motifs that have become the fabric of the John Wick sound are due to Joel's unique and great talent and also an awesome collaboration that we've shared, you know, because we we plan each other's ideas and cues and we talk about it and we're like just two geeks, you know, the same as if we were playing video games uh, <laughs> remotely, you know. So we get into it and yeah, we're just nerds about it. And it's fun to twist his work and for him to twist my work and for us to cross pollinate in the way that we do. Um, we don't sit in the studio and do it together, but I think our friendship definitely helps us feel connected even when we're working, you know, on our own. So it's been really great. And I'm really proud of everything that we've managed to do because John Wick definitely has a sound. I know that the films are ubiquitous at this point. You know, I, I have toured the whole world and everywhere I go, it doesn't matter what country, there are always people waiting outside hotels and venues with John Wick soundtracks for me to sign. And that's pretty cool to see that that little movie, that thing that I thankfully didn't say no to has become what it is. And I'm very, very appreciative of Chad uh, Stahelski for just for his loyalty and wanting to continue to push to make better movies, you know? I mean, he just constantly adds weight to the bar, you know? And some people might say, oh God, it's the work. And it's like, yeah, but everyone's doing that work. Everyone is trying to create something that is better than its predecessor. So it's been awesome to uh, be challenged in that way. And John Wick 4 was just massive. And I think not just predecessors, but it's really set a standard for just contemporary action films as well. I mean, I don't know how often you come across these things, but like you go on Twitter and people from an action film fan standpoint like love these movies. And I remember watching the first one around when it came out and just being totally surprised because it was not the type of action film that you were used to seeing. Yeah, they're, they're you know, it's emotional in a way that I think people can relate to very simply. And I think that's, I think that was really powerful in launching John Wick. And then obviously people who became fans understand what John Wick is carrying in his, in his head and his heart. And so that seems to be an emotional intrigue. I think that, that is a draw besides how visually incredible it is. I mean, just the color palettes are always super fun mm. to work with as a composer. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's, that's really cool. And, uh, you know, over the years, it, it's been a real exciting experience to work with a director like Chad, who is a complete disruptor. He doesn't care what other people are doing. He's doing what he wants to do. And in a film like John Wick, he's not bringing someone in to show him how it's done. He shows you how it's done. The guy is an incredible martial artist. He's an incredible fight and stunt coordinator, trainer director, cinematographer. He has so much intense experience and he brings that kind of fire, you know, the way uh, maybe like a military veteran or an athlete might, mm. you know what I mean? And because he can visualize everything himself and he's probably done some variation on these stunts throughout his career. I think he did some professional fighting and stuff too at one point. So I think he's uh, he's he's a pretty tough act to, to match and I know that and sometimes the process is really really challenging and frustrating because the picture's changing every two seconds and you have to continue to keep your music current with how the the film is flowing ideas change but at the end of the day I know that his objective is to make the greatest movie he can make and that's another skill set that you know a composer needs to develop and, and that's uh, patience 
and tenacity and and just to understand that you know don't take this personally again you know you can't get into all the existentialism that people seem to be focused on in life right now it's about getting in and doing the work just not taking it personally just knowing hey this guy's trying to get to the moon i want to help him and i'm going to do whatever i can and that's why he's he brought me here because he knows i never say die like i never say die joel is the same way you know we both grew up on ranches you know doing really physical labor as as young kids so um i think that's ingrained in us as well that's why we're insane and work around the clock <laughs> building off that and it's something that i think's been a, a theme throughout this today is collaboration not just with chad for instance or joel across the four john wick films or even your various collaborations with artists whether it's writing recording producing but i, I think it's it's a little unusual seeing you co-composing so often as well. I mean, you take even the last, what, year or so? In addition to John Wick 4, you, uh, you work with Tim Williams on Pearl and on Agent Elvis, which just released, and with uh, Chelsea Wolfe on X, which I was, like, so extremely excited to see her involved in that, because, like, I, I love her solo music. But for you, does does that seem more uncommon to have that amount of musical collaboration in this world well what it does especially ha after having been at it for quite some time is it continues to to force me to grow as an artist working with incredibly talented people mm. you know tim williams is like he's like a brother to me he's a wonderful guy incredibly talented you know he's been orchestrating scores for me since i don't know almost 20 years conducting and you know we've played on each other's stuff and you know he's a friend so and he's immensely talented so not only do i desire to be in the bunker with my friend having fun developing ideas and riffing off of each other but i you know if i can i want to lift everybody up around me if i can help facilitate a, uh, an experience for somebody that is talented and worthy like chelsea wolf you know she and i did a song together for a soundtrack album i did for uh, dark knight's death metal yeah for dc and mm. you know i am totally taken by her and her music and she's an awesome person and she had expressed to me right at the time i was just getting into x with ty before the score even began he's we had talked conceptually about the the score and Chelsea had also mentioned how much she would love to be involved in a score. So I just, I turned a tie on to her and, and he was into her voice and, and liked her when he met her and we did it. And it was really an awesome collaboration. It's fun. I don't give a damn about being the lone person on the top of the hill. I, re I really don't care. I know that people who know me, they get it. I know that when I play guitar, even I'm going on stage every night with Jerry Cantrell, who is a rock guitar legend, and I'm just the other required guitar player that people didn't pay <laughs> to see. I know who I am, and I know that my signature as an artist and as a player still comes through what I'm doing, even in that situation. And Jerry, as gracious as he is, does create as much space for me as he possibly can without probably pissing off his fans. <laughs> but I love that. You know, I love experiencing things like Joanne Higginbottom has worked for me for a long time and she has busted her tail and she has grown so much as a composer that she's working on these properties regardless. I mean, the tempo of film and television is insanely fast and intense and a single person is rarely going to be able to turn it a very densely scored television show or an action movie for sure you're not going to be able to turn it around on your own you just cannot do it especially if you like get the stomach flu or something so uh joe has worked with me for a long time she's really cultured in my approach to various styles of music and in the context of film and and on record so over the years she became more a part of the creative development of the ideas and I just thought well she's there now she's deserving to be credited not just as a programmer but as a composer she earned it so I think it's the right thing to do again like I said I don't care about the optics 
I really don't care about any awards or acknowledgements. You know, I appreciate all that. But for me, the most valuable reward besides having the opportunity to work is being able to imbibe in great collaborations. That's not to say that I want to do everything with another person for the rest of my life, but I like to make it a regular part of my life. I mean, Tim and I had so much fun working on Agent Elvis. It was just a blast. And it really brought us a lot of uh, levity at times when we we otherwise had some challenges in our lives, personal lives, you know, just stuff that is emotionally, you know, draining. So I think, you know, experiencing that with someone else really helps you cope with some of your your experiences and it helps you laugh and helps you dream about an idea and work on it together or kind of volley ideas back and forth and you grow from that. So I want to continue to grow um, so that I have a very potent voice, you know, in, in all of this for, you know, the foreseeable future. Again, if someone's working on something with me, if I'm allowed to do so, they're going to be credited. And, you know, additional music credits are not going to help a composer very much. Programming credits don't help very much. No one cares. And I hate to put it that way, but really composition credits are the ones that mm. register. I would like to leave the people in my life in a better space than when they met me. If at some point we move in our own direct, you know, separate directions, I want everybody to feel great. So yeah, there are others who've mentored me, not in film scoring or in, in the film business, but otherwhere in my life. And they've, they've helped me considerably. And so, you know, it's impacted my mentality. I love that. I mean, it's, it's so refreshing because I think so often the job is really monolithic and you have this lone genius myth. And so it's nice hearing someone be like, hell no, I'll collaborate. I'll give as much credit as I'm able to. It's great. And, and I think that that tide is slowly turning more broadly, but it's, it's nice hearing that from someone in, in your position. Well, it's, it's a reality. It's just a matter of whether or not you want to pull the curtain back or not. Okay. Yeah. And it's, I'm not saying everything is that way. I do some things totally myself and that's fine. But again, if there's an opportunity to work in that capacity with somebody where I think it would benefit the project overall, that's my obligation to the director or the showrunner. I need to give you the best product. I need to give you the best experience, the best service, all of it. That's what I'm looking to do. And if it's a project where the turnover is extremely quick. You know, I would like to keep the quality as high as possible so that, again, the the, the people who brought me on board are, are satisfied and really excited about what we're doing. I'm going to do whatever it takes to deliver that. You know, delivering an experience is very important to me as well. And fun things happen when you think like that, you know, and you're not just myopic in your view, you know, but you, that's why, like on Deadpool 2, when Dave Leach walked into the choir session, he'd never been into a choir session. And he asked me, like, he was awed by it, but he's like, what are they singing? And I said, it's just some faux Latin stuff that I wrote just to kind of give us a rhythmical cadence and some consonant and vowel sounds where I think it's going to benefit the scene. I said, however, we're going to take a break in like 10 minutes. So if you're inspired and you want to work on some lyrics, just pay attention to the cadence of what they're singing and, and we'll go in there and work it out with them. And that's where that whole oh holy shit balls track came together and so we worked it out with the choir and adjusted the lyrics just to make it all all work and it was an incredibly funny moment and really just a, a great experience for everybody it really pulled everybody into a moment in their life and i heard from singers in that particular choir for quite a while after that 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 was their most fun session ever and then dave had that experience and that's you know i think it's the first complete score album without songs that got the parental advisory tag on it. So that's an achievement right there, especially if you know me. <laughs> you know, I, I am a bit disruptive too. So I don't mean combative, disruptive. I like to just try different things. And sometimes I succeed, sometimes I fail. I don't enjoy failing, but I try and take from it everything I can learn, you know, so that next time around when I swing for that that shot or whatever, you know, that that I nail it. So you know, it's all a process. And and sometimes working with other people, you know, who share a different vocabulary with their vo unique vocabulary with me helps me grow as a person and as a composer. But it's not like I'm only in the co-composing business. It's just right. this couple of years, it seems to be a lot. And it's much easier and more gratifying to me to to give credit where where it's due. And instead of to say, it's all me, it's all me. And 
post stuff on social media. If you look at my social media, it's pretty boring. If you consider, I saw the other day, my Instagram account was open in 2011 and I didn't even open it. James Gunn opened it. I know we're in 2023 and, and I've been a lot of places, done a lot of stuff. I think there's like 70, 70 something posts. It seems like some people do that in a day. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't follow it all. I really don't. I know that I'm involved in so many things that people have opinions about. It's not really my concern, you know, is so long as my director's happy and I'm I'm proud of the work. Everybody pontificates and thinks they understand what is even going on. And I'm not putting anyone down. I really appreciate all the fans of film music. I'm just saying, unless you're there in the experience, you have no idea what it was. I mean, there have been times where I've delivered a movie score, like on Hobbs and Shaw, and the head of music at Universal is just like, man, I don't even know how you did it. I don't know how you managed to give us a score because the picture was changing so rapidly and the storytelling was changing because of the composition of the acts of, in the film. It was constantly like working in a hurricane, but the people were great and you just push through it. You keep yourself calm. And, and if you do that, you know, you have a good chance of delivering what you're uh, expected to. So I just try and keep my head cool always and take in the information that's critical for me to succeed in my task. But again, I learn a lot from working with people and seeing their perspective, their approach to creating. So as far as the collaborations are concerned, I, I wouldn't say that you'll see everything with my name and someone else's name on it, but I'm really, really proud of working with Joel on John Wick for four films. I mean, to do an entire franchise is amazing. Um, that's a very, like, very rare air in the composing world. And Tim Williams is one of my, one of my best friends. I love him. So why not do the thing that we both love so much together? Because we work together anyway. You know, same with Joanne. You know, Chelsea, great artist. I, I really admire her. And there's so much value in the experience of working with people of that caliber or talent. It's awesome. I love it. I love it. I mean, and that's as juicy as the you know the negative experiences can be for for some people hearing like the uplifting positive side i think is i i like it so much more and i i think that's a that's a really nice place to to wrap things up on you know leave on a nice high note so once again tyler i i really do appreciate you talking with me i know we ended up going a little over an hour at this point um but you know, there was uh, there was too much good stuff to to ask and hear you talk about, so couldn't right. stop. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I slept like two hours in two days, so um, yeah. But uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Nick, and uh, thanks for having me on.